Um, I hope you've all had uh, a fantastic Christmas. And uh, I hope you all got the gifts that you hoped for. And uh, I also hope that you're not still eating turkey sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Christmas, of course, is all about the birth of the baby Jesus. Our baby, Cora, although she's no longer a baby, celebrated her sixth birthday two weeks before Jesus' birthday, which, of course, is great news for Cora because she gets to open two lots of presents in the space of two weeks. Now, for those of you that don't know us, as you've heard, we're a family of six, and it's customary in the Ellis household, whenever it's an individual's birthday, that we all come together in the morning to watch that individual open their cards and presents in that order. What's been interesting over the years is the responses of our children to the one opening their presents. So, for example, last year, Eden, uh, after watching her younger sister open her presents, her immediate response was, what about me? In fact, it was more along the lines of, that's not fair, what about me? It's amazing um, how much our children grow in, in such a short space of time. Because this year, Eden's response was very different. And she quite enjoyed watching her younger sister open her presents and celebrating her birthday along with the rest of the family. What about me? are often words that are spoken by children when they feel like they've been unfairly treated or that they're entitled to something that someone else has. And what about them are often words as well that are spoken by children when they feel that someone else is equally deserving of a punishment as they are. The 12 disciples of Jesus had their squabbles and at times they sounded a lot like children too. There's a story in the book of John uh, which attests to this, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But just to give you a little bit of context to this, in the New Testament, the Gospels are the first four books uh, in the New Testament, and it's the written accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of John is written, of course, by John, and it's his account of what he observed when he was following Jesus. Now, John often refers to himself in the third person as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I don't know if he was actually the disciple that Jesus loved more than all the other disciples, or if he was like that annoying little sibling that always thought that mommy and daddy loves me better than everyone else. But uh, let's have a look at the story in the book of John. In John chapter 21. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, surprise, surprise, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? 
In this passage of the scriptures, Jesus tells Peter twice to follow me. In verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And again in verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until the day I return, what is this to you? You must follow me. So what does following Jesus look like? Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews likens following Jesus to running a race. In a very similar way in which we fix our eyes on the person that we're following, the writer encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. This morning, the name of this talk is Run Your Own Race. And at this point, uh, I'm just going to pause, and uh, I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then we're going to unpack this idea in a little bit more detail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come before you this morning. And your word tells us that where two or three people are gathered in your name, you are there. And so, Father, we invite your spirit to be a part of this. I pray, Father, that as we read your word, that you would speak truth to us and that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word as we move into the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how do we run our own race? I want to look first at what I believe is the key part of this passage, and that is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And so my first point this morning is focus. In order for us to run our own race, we need to be focused. When I was at school, I really enjoyed running, cross country in particular. And when I left school, uh, my dream was to run a half marathon by the time I was 40. Sadly, um, that boat sailed and I didn't get a chance to run a half marathon until last year. I have a lot of friends that had ran marathons before me and they all had some great advice to give me. And I remember when I was at the start line of that half marathon and the, the gun sounded and I started running, it felt like all that advice come back and hit me all at the same time. Some had said to me, pace yourself from the very beginning because that way you'll have enough energy to carry you the rest of the way at the end of the race. And others had said, give it all you've got from the very beginning and the adrenaline of the race will carry you the rest of the way. But there was one piece of advice that hit the nail on its head, and that was run your own race. I was told that whatever you did in training, in preparation for this race, do that on the day. And that's exactly what I did. I remember as I was running, there were people that were overtaking me, which made me question myself and ask the question, am I running too slow? And then only moments later, there were people that I was overtaking, which can only be described as a Mo Farrow moment. <laughs> it was fantastic. But it was that advice 
run your own race that caused me to stop looking at all the other runners that I was running with and focus on what I was there to do. It's a little bit like what we read earlier about Peter. Jesus had given Peter a glimpse of the race that was marked out for him. And let's be honest, you know, Peter's race didn't sound like it was going to end very well. And immediately, he wondered if the disciple that Jesus loved, if he had been given a better race to run, if it was less painful, less challenging, and potentially more spectacular. After all, this was the disciple that all the believers thought was not going to experience death. In many ways, our lives are not too dissimilar to that of Peter's. We can get so caught up in what others are doing or not doing. We can spend time comparing ourselves to others and worrying about what other people think about us. Or sometimes we become jealous that someone else's race appears to be a lot easier than our own or more spectacular than ours instead of focusing on what God is calling us to do. The 26th American president, Theodore Roosevelt, said, Comparison is the thief of joy. When we compare ourselves to others, we deprive ourselves of joy. It adds no value, no meaning, and no fulfillment. It distracts from it. And it means that we waste a lot of time and energy focusing on other people's lives instead of focusing on our own. And this ultimately has the ability to hinder us from running our race well. And so, for example, we can be so focused on that promotion and uh, being in competition with our colleague that we miss that opportunity that God has presented for us to share him with them. Or we can be so caught up in thinking that everyone else around us is much more gifted and talented than we are that we miss that opportunity to step out in faith to try something new that God is calling us to. Or it could be that we believe that everyone around us has got the perfect marriage. And that prevents us from letting someone know that we're struggling with ours because we fear what people might think about us. Comparison has the ability to lead us down the road of jealousy and resentment when we're all actually on the same side. A little bit like Peter to John and Eden to Korah. It can bring us to a place where we're asking the question, what about me? When I say run your own race, I'm not at all suggesting that we should run this race alone. I'm not at all saying that this is an exclusive race. It's an individual race. And unlike a competitive race, it's a race that we're running together, encouraging people along the way and supporting one another. I suppose you could say that um, running is in my blood, being of Jamaican heritage, of course. And uh, whenever the athletics was on TV, there were always a dilemma for me. Am I Team GB or am I Team Jamaica? And whenever Usain Bolt was running, there was no question. <laughs> of course it was Jamaica. The point I'm making is, is, as with the Jamaican team, there are a number of runners in that team. Blake, Powell, Bolt, and they all ran their individual races, but they were all a part of the same team. 
So, if we're not focused on others, what or who should we be focused on? And the answer to that question, of course, is Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer because he's ran his race before us. And just like Peter's race was marked out for him, our race has been marked out for us. And so why is focusing on Jesus so important? Well, when we're not focused on Jesus, in the words of the famous songwriter, Billy Ocean, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But when we're focused on Jesus, it's almost like he's at the finish line, beckoning us and calling us on. And as we run, as we will, and as we do, we fall. And sometimes when we fall, it's difficult to get back up. But when we're focused on Jesus, he's the reason that we get back up and keep running. And this is what we see when we look in the New Testament and we read about Jesus in the Gospels. We see of people that make mistakes, that get it wrong, that people would have written off. And that's enough to cause anyone to quit. But it's Jesus, when they're focused on him, that causes them to get up and keep running and persevere through the hardship of life. And this brings me to my second point this morning, which is persevere. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So how do we persevere? One of the difficulties I had um, training for the half marathon was training for that half marathon. It was hard work. And one of the challenges that I encountered was trying to find the time to do it. We live in a microwave society in the sense that we want things instantly. We are a part of a see-it-and-have-it-now culture. According to marketing researchers, uh, the human race has the attention span of eight minutes, and that time is dwindling, which means that you all stopped listening to me about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we, as a culture, as a society, we want to be entertained. And if we're not entertained, we're bored, which means that we move on to the next bigger, better, and brighter thing. And this is usually the case for many of us when it comes to exercise. We want instant results. Who doesn't? Jay Leno, the American talk show host, once said, I would do anything to lose weight except diet and exercise. <laughs> when I first started running, I was working in education. And as the teachers amongst us will know, it's a very demanding profession, as are others. And so it was incredibly difficult trying to find the time to run. But I had to ask myself the question. And the question was, how much of a priority is running to me? I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a link between priority and perseverance. We can make anything a priority in our lives. Our jobs, our spouse, our children, FIFA 18. Many of these are our good and right priorities. But I wonder this morning, how much of a priority is your relationship with Jesus? 
I believe that there is a direct correlation between our relationship with Jesus and our perseverance in the race. Just like prioritizing time to run, we need to be prioritizing time to spend with Jesus. Whether that's in prayer, whether that's reading the Bible or biblical literature or solitude, we need to practice the presence. And when we practice the presence, it's that that gives us the perseverance we need to keep going when the going gets tough. Andy Stanley, an American preacher and Bible teacher said, there is a cumulative value to invest in small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. In other words, 15 minutes of exercise five times a week has more value to us than half an hour of exercise once a month. I'm currently in the process of learning how to play the guitar, and I have several friends that have told me that if I practice just for 15 minutes a day, eventually I too will sound like Dave Miller. <laughs> this principle is true of our relationship with God. Regular installments of time with him develops a stronger and deeper relationship with him rather than us calling on him when things go wrong or when we need something. It's this relationship that enables us to persevere and withstand the storms of life. Priority um, determines capacity. I wonder this morning, as we approach 2018, in your list of priorities, if your relationship with Jesus appears in the top three. I'd like to suggest this morning, as we move into 2018, that we create space, little and often, to spend time with God, whether that's praying, reading, or simply listening to worship music or podcasts, just eight minutes at a time, over a long period of time, will develop the perseverance that we need to keep us running our race well. And this brings me to my final point this morning, which is uh, confront. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I just want to part this idea just for a moment and revisit it very shortly. Because I think it's important that we recognize that this life is not a practice run. It's a real race, it's a real fight, and it matters. It matters to God. It should matter to us, and it matters to others. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I recently watched a football documentary, and in that documentary there was an interview uh, with the former Arsenal striker Ian Wright, where he was quite emotional. He spoke about another Arsenal player that was slightly before his time, David Rowcastle, who died sadly in 2001. 
And uh, Ian and David came from the same neighborhood, and they were friends. And uh, Ian recalled in that documentary that he met uh, David on a bridge. And David said to him, this dream that I'm living, playing for Arsenal, you can achieve the same dream. But you've got to start taking this life seriously. You've got to stop smoking weed. You've got to stop drinking. You've got to start taking this life seriously. And it was at this part in the interview that Ian Wright became really emotional because he recognized it was the words that David had spoken to him that changed the trajectory of the path that he was running when he was running his race. What we do matters. Our lives matter. It matters to God. It should matter to us. And it matters to others. It matters to that child that's in foster care who's waiting for you to run your race well. It matters to the prostitute who's waiting for you to run your race well. And it matters to the homeless who are waiting for you to run your race well. When we see people running, it inspires us to do the same. We were born to run this race. And at times it's hard, it's not an easy race. And at times it feels like it's a fight. And that's because it is. The Bible tells us that the fight that we're in isn't a physical fight, but it's a spiritual fight. And it's a very real fight. I think the verse about hindrances relates to our internal fight against the things that are holding us back. In order for us to throw off everything that hinders, we first need to identify what the hindrances are. Before I stood any chance of running or completing any half marathon, there was something else that I had to deal with first. Now, as you heard at the very beginning, I uh, work at the Carpenter's Arms, a rehab uh, for men for drug and alcohol. And uh, I often say to the guys there that I've never actually been addicted to drugs or alcohol. But what I have been addicted to is food. And uh, here's the photographic evidence to show. A few friends of mine, uh, after seeing this photo, said that it looks like the guy on the left has eaten the guy on the right for breakfast. <laughs> and uh, they often refer to me as Heavy D, and I'm still not quite sure why. And uh, I think it's fair to say that the guy on the right, um, there's been a few mince pies that have been eaten between then and now. That photograph on the right, sorry, on the left, uh, was taken at a time in my life when I was feeling depressed and oppressed. I was in a very unhappy place. I wanted to do something about it, but I felt like I couldn't except eat to make myself feel better. I tried dieting a few times, and it was always short-lived because I wasn't dealing with the root cause of the problem. It became very apparent to me that it didn't matter how much weight I lost, I was always going to gain it back unless I dealt with the root cause of the problem.
It's a little bit like having a beautiful garden. And in the center of that garden is a giant weed. And no matter how many times you try to pull the head off that weed, it just takes one rainy day to cause it to grow back again. It didn't matter how many times I lost weight. I just needed one bad day to send me on a feeding frenzy until God showed me that I cannot change what I'm not willing to confront. And this is an incredibly hard statement. You cannot change what you are not willing to confront. Just ask one of the guys at the carpenter's arms. It's often when we get to the end of ourselves, when we're broken, are we prepared to look at those hindrances that are preventing us from running our own race. But we don't have to wait until we're broken or that we're at the end of ourselves before we start looking at those hindrances. We can look at them now. I once heard someone say, if someone should hold up a mirror, we should never be afraid to look. We all have times when we don't like to look in the mirror. Mine are most mornings when I wake up. I often don't recognize a guy who's looking at me in a reflection. But when I was at my heaviest, they were the times when I really didn't like to look in the mirror. And the reason was is because I didn't quite like what I saw in the reflection. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that dwells within all of us that have accepted him into our lives. When we accept the Holy Spirit into our lives, the spirit of truth into our lives, we've agreed to a partnership with the truth. It was when someone challenged my behavior towards them and suggested that my behavior was masking my insecurities, that God was able to show me that this was the hindrance that was preventing me from running my own race. The Holy Spirit can use anyone or anything to speak truth to us, and he often does. But the question is, are you prepared to hear it? Or will you do this? I had uh, low self-esteem. I believed that I wasn't good enough. I thought I had nothing to offer, and I convinced myself otherwise, but I was effectively living a lie. These insecurities were my roots, and the overeating were the leaves of the roots that manifested above the soil. Sometimes the roots in our lives are so deep that we need help from others to help identify and remove them from our lives. This is one of the reasons why we talk so much about small groups here at Trent Vineyard. Small groups are great places where you can belong, be known, and be yourself. It's a place where people will journey with you as you allow God to identify and remove those roots in your life. It's a place where people can be honest. It's a place where people, you can, be with, you can be with people that you can trust, that will hold up that mirror and lovingly, gently, kindly encourage you to take a look. I wonder this morning 
if you have people like that in your life. If you haven't yet joined a small group, I'd like to encourage you at the end of the service to to make your way over to the Connect area and sign up to a small group near you. I think it's also important to mention as well that sometimes the, the roots that are in our lives can be so deeply rooted that we need specialist help to help identify and remove them. Special landscape gardeners, if you will. And if you are a part of a small group, your small group leaders will be able to support you and show you where to go to get the help that you need. What I know is God is kind and loving and only reveals these things to us so that we can experience the freedom to run our own race. This has been my experience. And so... As we approach a new year, at this time, many people around us are looking ahead and planning New Year's Year's resolutions that often fail by February. But what if this year we make our priority to run our own race, focused on Jesus, not comparing ourselves to others? Confronting those things that are holding us back and running with perseverance the race that God has marked out for us.